Welcome to Creation, Myth, or Miracle. This is your host, ex-atheist Richard Walker. Greetings to an intelligent and skeptical audience. That is, I believe you are intelligent, and I encourage you to be skeptical. And that is, when someone makes a claim to you, they tell you something is true about the world, I suggest you request some evidence to back up the claim. It's very reasonable to request that somebody provide reasons for what they believe, especially if they're trying to tell you you should believe it too. And as you know if you've listened to this show before, or perhaps you don't know because you're a first-time listener, this is a show about apologetics. That does not mean we are apologizing for believing in the Bible or for Christian beliefs, but rather that we are providing a reasoned defense. Scripture suggests that we are supposed to give you a reason for the hope that we have, and we're supposed to do so in gentleness and kindness, and so that's what we try to do here. Well, if you think about it a bit, if the Bible tells Christians to be prepared to give a reason for what they believe— then there had better be reasons, hadn't there? Well, the Bible also makes the claim that there is evidence for the Creator God in the world around us, that the evidence for the Creator is visible in the creation. And so when you combine those two thoughts together, it certainly makes sense to study the creation, but to be aware of the Creator while you do so, And as another quick reminder, we've discussed this before, but it certainly doesn't get much play out in the public sphere. And in fact, the show Cosmos has flat presented completely inaccurate history, the history of science, that is, particular scientists, completely inaccurate history of particular scientists to obscure the fact that their worldview was very much a biblical theistic worldview. They believed in the creator God of the Bible. They believed that because God is rational, that the world should be rational. Furthermore, they believed that because God made man in his image, we have the intellectual capability to understand the world around us, at least to some extent. And that belief is what drove their efforts to systematically investigate the world around us. And the scientists I'm talking about are essentially the founders of every area of modern science, people like Kepler and Newton and Faraday, etc. And Neil deGrasse Tyson is presenting absolute falsehoods to you about the history of these individuals. It's pure propaganda to try to convey the false idea that religion is anti-science. The Christian religion is absolutely not anti-science. In fact, the Christian worldview, the biblical-based belief system, is the foundation of modern science. And even some atheist scientists and philosophers have sort of grudgingly acknowledged that. It's been referred to as a rather amazing irony. Science today officially wants to have nothing to do with religious belief, and yet it was founded solidly on top of a religious worldview. Well, that's all background information. 
That was what motivates this particular show and, in fact, virtually all Christian apologists. So what does happen when we look at the world around us? There's a very interesting blog that I recommend you take a look at over at evolutionnews.org. The title is Michael Denton on how kinesins, the cell's wondrous mini-machine, give evidence of design. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Dr. Denton, he is a biochemist. He's also a senior fellow with the Center for Science and Culture. He wrote Evolution, A Theory in Crisis back, I believe, in 1985. And that particular book that exposed the inconsistencies within the evolutionary theory, once you look at the details, the inconsistencies surface, That book was a foundational book in a number of ways. I remember when I read it many years ago, it really opened my eyes to areas to look at closely. Already having been a creationist when I read that book, oh, probably for 15 years or so, I wasn't surprised by the conclusions, but they were quite confirming of what I expected to see. Now, Michael Denton is definitely not a creationist. He's simply an honest scientist who reports what he sees when he looks at nature. He wrote another book titled Nature's Destiny, How the Laws of Biology Reveal Purpose in the Universe. So while he is not a creationist, he's also clearly not a Darwinist. He does not buy the story that totally undirected natural laws have resulted in everything we see. In fact, he makes the claim that when you look around us, There is solid evidence for design. And this little short blog really introduces a a three-and-a-half-minute-long video, an animation titled The Workhorse of the Cell, Kinesin. That's K-I-N-E-S-N, a wonderful little micro-machine that moves materials around within your cell. They're sort of like the tractor trailers that are delivering materials across our highways constantly. These little molecular machines are, in fact, delivering products to the necessary location within the cell by walking along microtubules and pulling them with them. You need to see the animation and realize this is an accurate representation of what a molecule is doing. It is absolutely astounding. Dr. Denton comments on it this way. This wondrous mini-machine is one of dozens of different types of kinesin-like molecular motors in the cell, each adapted to carry different types of cargo around the interior of the cell. All these mini-motors consist of an exquisitely engineered arrangement of unique parts. The motor heads, linker chains joining the two motor heads together, and a relatively long tail linking the motor heads with the docking domains. Now, what Dr. Denton is calling motor heads look like feet. They actually attach to the microtubules. You could think of it as a walkway. So you have these two feet on this walkway, and they literally step over each other just like a person might walking across a balance beam, one foot above the other onto the beam one foot after the other. You just walk across the beam. That is precisely what these little micro-machines do. And they have this long tail that leads to the other end, which attaches to whatever the cargo is. 
That's what's called the docking domains. It almost sounds fictional. It's hard to imagine that at the molecular level, you could have feet that walk attached to what look like legs that literally walk one across the other along a beam. But we actually understand how this works at the atomic level. And you need to watch this animation to really get the impact of this. Dr. Denton continues, given the number of molecular components that must be exquisitely co-adapted to function together before any cargo can be carried along a microtubule in any conceivable cell, it's hard to escape the powerful impression that these wondrous mini-motors are the result of design rather than Darwinian evolution. Now, why is he saying that? It's because without all the pieces working together, they cannot deliver cargo within the cell, and hence they serve no purpose whatsoever. It would be impossible for natural selection to select a partially functioning tractor-trailer. If it can't drive down the road and can't deliver its cargo, it's certainly not an advantage. And in fact, reproducing it would waste energy and materials and would be a disadvantage. So what Dr. Denton is pointing out is the Darwinian story simply doesn't explain these. But they appear designed because they are designed. And Denton continues, another set of molecular motors related to the kinesins are the myosins, which are responsible for muscle contraction. It's worth noting that putative, primitive, ancestral types of motors have never been identified in any extant cell, meaning any existing cell. And remarkably, from phylogenetic reconstructions, the earliest eukaryotic cells apparently had as diverse a set of complex motors as extant cells. Meaning, as far as we can tell, even assuming an evolutionary common ancestry type of thing, doing these phylogenetic reconstructions, the earliest cells with nucleuses had just as many different complex motors as the cells that exist today. That is totally unexpected from a Darwinian perspective. He goes on, and no motors are known linking the kinesin family to the myosin family or between the different classes of kinesins and myosins. In other words, there's absolutely no evidence of any kind of gradual evolution of these complex motors. They've always been distinct. They've always been complex. And as far as we can tell, eukaryotic cells have always had a full set of them. This is simply observational evidence that is contradictory to the Darwinian assumptions, but perfectly consistent with the notion of intelligent design. And I can't recommend enough you spend three and a half minutes of your time watching this YouTube video. This animation is state-of-the-art, current biology, and it's even available all the way up to 1080p resolution. Oh, and did I mention it's free? As we continue looking at these complex molecular machines that exist within cells, I want to share with you a very short article from ICR.org written by geneticist Dr. Jeff Tompkins. 
And just a few days ago, one of his papers was referenced on a blog, and a commenter completely trashed it, claiming he made numerous errors. You know, you should never read the supposed referee creationist literature, and made numerous assertions that imply Dr. Tompkins has no idea what he's doing. So I thought I would just introduce you a bit to who Dr. Tompkins is. This also falls under that category of letting you know there actually are real scientists who are creationists. He does have a Ph.D. in genetics from Clemson University. He was on the faculty of the Department of Genetics and Biochemistry at Clemson for a decade, where he published 57 secular research papers in peer-reviewed scientific journals and seven book chapters in the area of genetics, genomics, proteomics, and physiology. So despite the posturing of commenters on blogs, Dr. Tompkins does know what he's talking about, and he does know how to write peer-reviewed articles. He's written and published 57 of them. For the past four years, Dr. Tompkins has been a research scientist at the Institute for Creation Research and an independent investigator publishing 10 peer-reviewed creation science journal papers, numerous semi-technical articles, one of which we're going to look at, and two books. I've seen two or three video presentations that Dr. Tompkins did, uh, one at a conference, some others that were interviews. He is uh, presents information very clearly, is doing his own research on the details of genetics, looking at the actual genomes, identifying the assumptions made in the analysis of these genomes, etc. So I'm pretty familiar with his work at this point, and he's a real contributor to the understanding of life because he does not hamstring all of his interpretations with the naturalistic Darwinian worldview, which forces you to simply ignore what you're observing very often, especially in the growing area of genetics research. So let's go back over to ICR.org and take a look at the short paper Dr. Tompkins wrote titled, Cells Molecular Motor Diversity Confounds Evolution. Scientists believe that the study of genes that encode the proteins for molecular motors will help solve the mysteries of evolution. However, the result of a study published in the journal Genome Biology and Evolution has only served to support the predictions of special creation, that unique variants of cellular complexity and innovation exist at all levels of life. Molecular motors are important features of eukaryotic cells that are formed by a variety of protein types. One group of molecular motors is called the myosins, which have recently been studied in everything from one-celled eukaryotes to humans. The goal of this and many other studies has been the ever-elusive characterization of the mythical last eukaryotic common ancestor, LECA, or LECA. This is supposedly the eukaryotic cell from which all existing eukaryotic creatures, such as us, evolved. Dr. Tompkins continues, the fictional Lika creature represents the final stage of a transition between a bacterial 
archaeal prokaryote, the smallest and simplest organism, and a one-celled eukaryote, a cell with a nucleus and other organelles. The main problem with this idea is that not only does no such creature exist, but eukaryotes also contain molecular similarities to both bacteria and archaea, prokaryotes that are found in completely separate domains of cellular life. So unfortunately for evolution, as is often the case, the physical evidence of similarities does not provide clear and unambiguous evidence of our supposed evolutionary lineage. And Tompkins continues, another major problem is that many complex molecular and cellular features unique among eukaryotes are not found in any prokaryotes. Because of this elaborate mosaic of cellular features, the development of any evolutionary story for the origin of eukaryotes has been fraught with much difficulty. Tompkins then describes some of the details of the recent research that had hoped that by looking at the genetic level, at the actual proteins and the DNA sequences from which they are derived among various types of eukaryotes, etc., that this would clarify the evolutionary lineage. However, the data is amazingly ambiguous in that regard, and he concludes the end result of all this labor was ultimately counterproductive to the formation of any sort of evolutionary tree. The researcher stated, We do not aim to infer a eukaryotic tree of life from the myosin genomic content. And Tompkins says this is because the data was not amenable to do so. Instead, they noted that, quote, We will provide an integrative and robust classification useful for future genomic and functional studies on this crucial eukaryotic gene family, end quote. So, how did the authors explain the incredible complexity found across the spectrum of life in myosin gene content that had no clear evolutionary patterns? They explained it by one, convergence, the sudden and simultaneous appearance of a gene with no evolutionary patterns in different taxa, that is, unrelated creatures. Two, lineage-specific expansion, different myosin gene complements found in different creatures. And three, gene losses, missing genes that evolutionists thought should have been there. None of these ideas actually explain why there is no evolutionary pattern of simple to complex and myosin gene content across the spectrum of life. Specifically, the ideas of convergent evolution and lineage-specific expansions are nothing more than fancy terms for the fact that these different types of myosin genes appeared suddenly in unrelated creatures at the same time. Clearly, the scientific model that predicts this type of molecular and cellular complexity and innovation across all forms of life, is one associated with special creation. Each created kind is genetically unique and has its own special and complex gene repertoire needed for the niche that it fills. As you can hear from the comments of Dr. Tompkins, knowledgeable creationist scientists have no fear whatsoever of ongoing research into the details of cellular biology and genetics. These two fields of study continually discover elements that are perfectly consistent with special creation, 
and are completely inconsistent with an evolutionary history. And it's actually kind of fun to see the stories that evolutionists have to make up to try to explain the observations. I really like convergent evolution. Now understand, we're supposedly talking about a totally unguided process, just undirected random mutations that break something and somehow it becomes a more usable, complex thing later. Nobody can explain in detail how that works. But nonetheless, now they're saying not only does this happen, but it can happen multiple times in different creatures with the exact same end result. So an undirected random process that results in precisely the same thing. That would be like having blind people sitting in different parts of the world with decks of cards and they're throwing cards one at a time in the air and you have a house of cards arising from these undirected process. Yes, it's low probability, but evolution has all kinds of events that are very low probability, and yet they still believe they must have happened. So here's a blind person throwing cards, and it builds a two-story card house with multiple rooms, okay? And then another blind person somewhere else does the same thing, and it produces not just a card house, but exactly the same card house. That is what you're told to believe, that there was no designer behind those. And it's amazing how often convergent evolution is invoked these days. Also, from a purely logical perspective, it's sort of interesting that similarity between two different creatures, they have a similar structure within them, right? That's the primary evidence, supposedly, for common ancestry of those two creatures. Similar structures show common ancestry, except when they don't. And then we call it convergent evolution. Very convenient. So evolution theory can have absolutely identical complex structures in two different creatures and in one case tell you that's evidence of common ancestry and in the other case tell you it's not evidence of common ancestry. And they do this with a straight face. And I may get the actual counts wrong, but supposedly convergent evolution has resulted in the evolution of camera lens type eyesight like humans have something like five or eight different times. Winged flight has evolved numerous times independently. And recently it's been claimed that sonar, the mechanism used by whales and porpoises to echolocate structures, by the way, that also evolved independently. Bats do the same thing. Oh, and in this convergent evolution, apparently a lot of the genes are identical. Isn't evolution amazing? Now, I'm a software engineer for many decades now. Here's my perspective on why the genes and the particular structures would be the same. Those are common subroutines. The designer of the genome has subroutines in the design, and they get put into creatures that require that function. When I link a computer program, the linker adds in the necessary subroutines that are called by the application. So if application A needs a particular type of fast Fourier transform, for example, the appropriate subroutines will be linked into that application and exist in that executable program. If they're needed in another application B, the very same subroutines will be linked in. 
If they're not needed, they won't be linked in because the linker's smart enough not to waste memory. The patterns of similar structures found across living creatures is absolutely consistent with the notion of a master designer. And it drives evolutionists nuts when they attempt to create evolutionary history stories. The supposed tree of life has become almost laughable. I've got several shows that point to many different articles on my website. Take a look. Go to creationmythormiracle.com and look up tree of life. It's one of the tags or categories. Just click on it. Take a look for yourself. Many evolutionists are giving up completely on the concept despite what you, the public, are told. The real evidence points one to a creator such as the God of the Bible. See creationmythormiracle.com.